Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of InfoSec Whiskey. Um, today, we have um, his Twitter handle is at BoxSwapper. Um, we have Nick, who is going to talk to us a little bit about um, some avionics and security issues. And um, he just recently did an amazing talk at Wild West Hack and Fest about avionics, a primer for hackers. And um, I'm super excited to have him. So um, we'll just get right into it. Like, thank you. Welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm actually. so excited to have you. It's my you know, very first podcast. And it's also the very first security podcast for me. So, so see, it's just, it's awesome all the way around. You pop my cherry. I see, and I and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know what I always do? I always forget to introduce myself. Um, so, for people who are listening and don't know, I'm Ushi. So, okay, let's get into the drink. Like Ushi, Ushi, Ushi. I who loves sushi. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's funny because of course we're a whiskey podcast, right? It's Infosec whiskey. But, you know, we were going to have the avionics guy on. And I thought when I, I try to kind of match the whiskey with the person as best I can. And, you know, the only thing that popped into my head when you agreed to be on the podcast was aviation gin. That's perfectly reasonable. Sounds reasonable. Right? Like if there was yeah. an aviation whiskey, we would be drinking that tonight. But not fine. Gin is, is one of my favorites. We, it got me through my twenties. So. so you know, I know a lot of people who their twenties were spent in bottles of gin. Exactly. It's so funny. So let's for the people listening and maybe hopefully drinking along with us. Um, so aviation gin is I probably at this point most well known for um, Ryan Reynolds, who like like I don't know if he like co-owns the company. I know he like bought into it, and he's like kind of their big spokesperson. Um, so a lot of people just know it because of him. But and he talks about like that it's like the greatest gin ever. Um, but yeah, so I'm not like a huge gin drinker. So I kind of like. I have like I have two glasses in front of me right now. I have straight gin with a little ice because I like my drinks cold, and yeah. then I have a mixed drink where I just added a little sprite. It's no, most... it's a good gin's good to add sprite too. It's a quick, cheap, poor man's gin and tonic. I I, I figured as much, right? And I'm not a huge fan of tonics. So I just figured that like, yeah, because I was like, what do you mix? How do you drink gin? Like I didn't know. Do people drink gin straight? Just gin on the rocks? No, I, I have before, but it also depends on the gin. Some of them are a little bit harsh, so you tend to want to mix them. But this is actually not too bad. Uh, I put some ice cubes in a cup, and I've been drinking. The ice cubes are gone, and it's pr plenty tasty, actually. I So, okay, I'm, so I'm going to take a sip of it. So I'm, like, the smell of it is almost kind of a citrusy smell, right? That's, that's interesting. Right. That's super, super smooth. I'm yeah, ironically, gin usually smells like a fuel additive. Does it? I, yeah. I feel like I, I probably have had gin in the past, but not recently, and so I really don't have anything to compare it to. It kind of reminds me of, like, a vodka, like, a good vodka, too. Like, so I'm, like if I drink vodka, I'm usually, like, especially now, like, Grey Goose is pretty much the only vodka that I, I usually drink because it's so smooth and almost tastes like water. And I would say like this is like a 
like almost like that. Like you could totally drink this straight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and weird as odd weird things on my. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you like crazy. No, no, no. Continue. This is a conversation. I've always had a thing for bottle aesthetics, and I think it's really nice that the back of the bottle is uh, curved like a freaking flask. So if you had a flight suit and you were to slip that inside your hip pocket, it'd be okay. right up against you. So I get that, the aesthetic. I love you. That's so great. I and actually then... – <laughs> I thought the same thing. Like the bottle – like the whole thing just is nice and clean. Right. And the and the cap itself. So um, – if you've ever dealt with knobs on a horizontal situation indicator or anything like that, any pilots out there, this actually has the same like gradient that those knobs have on them. The old fashioned knobs before really? they put the glass cockpits in. Yeah, it's got that same feel to it. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. But yeah, so like for people who haven't seen it, like so it's a clear bottle, and the front um, glass has just a simple black label. That says Aviation American Gin Batch Distilled with an Adventurous Blend of Spices from Around the World. And then it has like a um, the front of, a, of an airplane. Like I, I'm assuming that's like a propeller airplane, right? In the front? Yeah, that looks like maybe an old Spitfire or something. I can't tell for sure though. And then like the back of the bottle, like you said, it's curved. And like it has these, um, these vertical like lines that are in the glass like it's like um what do you call it like they're raised lines you know like grips and yeah i was gonna say grips as which, well which comes through the front which i love like i love like it's very clean black white there's not a whole lot going on with it which i really just appreciate like i don't know what it is like i totally judge shit off their bottles right and well, I think we all do. I mean, that's the whole point of the advertising. Uh, right. So this is definitely some good advertising. But like I did notice it's funny you said that like the cap is really easy on, easy off. <laughs> and that's probably the point of it. But like because like, you know, I, I deal with a lot of whiskey bottles and they're all like quirks. And so when you start unscrewing things, I was like, oh, OK, let's that's interesting. Like it's super. Yeah, I love it. And then on the t- I like the top of the back where it has, like, their little A logo. Oh, I see. It's like, it, yeah, like the old-fashioned medicine bottles, you see? Yes, like, it's in the glass itself. Like, this is actually a really cool bottle just by itself. Despite and you the, probably have a number on yours, too. Mine's not a prime number, but it's yours. Mine is 0463. I got 0453. Oh, well, that's interesting. So at least we know that our, our bottles are unique. That's really weird that the cl- the numbers are that close. It is. Where did you buy yours? I bought mine at the Virginia Alcohol. It's VABC here in the Nova. Um, I was unaware that when I moved to Virginia, well, I mean, I knew it when I moved here, but like when I first came. Um, so Virginia, you have to buy your liquor from the state. Well, actually, it's not the state, right? It's the Commonwealth. But you have to buy it from Virginia. Like, they don't have – you can buy liquor, like, at a bar. Like, so they have, like, liquor license. But they don't have liquor stores here other than the Virginia Alcohol Bureau, whatever the hell – I don't know what ABC stands for. But not to be be confused with, like, ABC, the liquor store – this is the Virginia ABC, and 
that's the only place that you can get your shit from. I, I've I've been told you can go into DC and um and and they they have like places there. But yeah, so that's where I got it. I I know how the laws are a little weird. I grew up in a dry county in Texas, so you know when you go to Applebee's and you ask for an alcohol and they ask you to uh, do the liquor license thing with them for like eight bucks a month because you have to be a member of a club. Oh my gosh! In order to drink in in where I'm from, so the whole point is if you go to Applebee's and you pay your eight bucks a month, you're a member of a club and you can drink alcohol. Oh, that's funny. And then do they so, charge yeah. you extra for your drinks? I would assume as well, right? Oh, I, I, at the time, I really didn't drink. <laughs> I'm a late bloomer. Uh, I, I joined the military in, when I was 21, and I still didn't even drink till I was like 22. That's funny. I was kind of a late bloomer as well. Maybe not quite that late, but I would say probably about 20. Um, where, it's, you know, like the kids. So I grew up in a town that is actually in the number two. For a while, I don't know what they are this year, it, but a couple years ago, they were the number two largest drinking city in America. And, like, that's pretty crazy when you consider – I think Reno was number one. But, like, wow. yeah. Like, and, I mean, this town that I lived in was not very big. But we had just – and it's so funny. So, like, moving here and I go, oh, okay, I, I get it now. Like, there was liquor stores everywhere. But, yeah, so – Coming from that town, I really didn't drink till I got to be a little bit older. I think because it wasn't really taboo in my house. Like, my mom was, like, um, oh, German, yeah. and she was kind of like, whatever, you know, like, if you want to try it, try it. And so it was just not taboo, and it didn't taste good. So it was kind of like, eh. Yeah, I'm that way with my son. I was like, I don't mind as long as I'm in the house with you. But the the I grew up in a place where everybody knows each other because it's a pretty small community. Right. And we all know each other through church. You know, mm-hmm. so it was one of those things is I never did anything that I could not get away with. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain that because I knew somebody else would know. Right. And then it would eventually get back. So I was a good kid till I joined the military. The Air Force kind of, yep, I say broadened my mind a little bit. I'm not going to say tainted me. I think that's so <laughs> funny. I, so, you know, I was in law enforcement and I feel the same way. Like <laughs> it broadened my, it broadened my mind. We'll exactly. Yeah, I, I like. Every, I think we're on the same page. <laughs> so tell us. Okay, so we've talked about our drink, and um, it's yummy. I'm, I'm really, like, I'm into it. I could do this. Like this. So the bottle, I think, was, I don't know, twenty, thirty dollars, and for seven fifty um, milliliters. And I would like this is good. This is very. Yeah. It's kind of like a. It's very refreshing with the Sprite. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I said, that's what I do when, I, when I'm when i feeling too lazy to mix the gin and the tonic and the lemon and, you know, simple syrup and all that. Mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and just freaking Sprite. Just dump some Sprite in there and it usually works out okay. Well, and that was my intention was I was – I actually was ordering – I was – I was – I'm – my my little one is is under the weather, so I didn't really feel like going out to the store today. And I was gonna do an order from like Instacart, and I had like the lemons and the simple syrup, and I had like all of that planned out. And then I took too long to order, and they wouldn't deliver till tomorrow. So I was like, "Well, fuck." And um, so I ended up ordering a pizza, <laughs> and I had them bring me a two liter of Sprite. 
So that was my lazy man's way of making myself a drink. Like I had full intentions on like doing like the Tom Collins, right? Because like that actually came with the little, the bottle, it came with the, um, you know, a couple of recipes on, on what to do with gin and I was going to get all schmancy about it and that did not happen. It's all right. We lucked out. We both found it. It's a, it's a smooth one. I've never had it before now. It, so. it really is good. I, I'm going to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to at uh, Ryan Reynolds and, and let him know how much we like his gin because I, I, am, I am very impressed with it. <laughs> so, okay. So let's, um, let's talk about you some more. So yeah, yeah, go can for you it. kind of like, let's just tell us your backgrounds. Who are you? Where are you from? Like, what do you do? <laughs> Well, my background is uh, is not security uh, or IT. It's always IT and computers and uh, all of that have always been a hobby of mine. But my job, I'm an avionics technician in the Air Force. Uh, I've worked on multiple airframes, uh, even civilian airframes, because I worked on them on my time off when I was at uh, Ramstein. But I've worked on uh, C-17, C-5s. C-141s, yes, I'm that old, that aircraft is retired, mm-hmm. KC-135s, and now I'm stuck to the B-1, which is a beautiful aircraft, but it's a polished turd, if you ask me, <laughs> <laughs> and any maintainer that works on it will tell you that. Uh, worked on 747s, L-1011s, DC-10s, but I've always had a thing for aircraft since I was a kid, um, and it started going to an air show with my grandfather when I was a kid, and I absolutely loved air shows, and, um, and I'm... I don't know, like I said, the age thing on this podcast, but I fucking love the sexy lines on an aircraft. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's something about it that's just really sexy. And and I've always thought that just because of the way they are with the airlift and stuff. Yeah, people can call me weird for that. But I've always appreciated that. So I've always been drawn to them, uh, their ability, fixed wing, rotary wing, whatever. Uh, so as a kid, I was totally into aircraft, loved World War II stuff, uh, pinup art all that stuff I could get into and uh, September 11th happened. And, you know, a lot of us, it changed a lot of our lives. And I thought the first thing I could do was contribute. Uh, And I thought, well, I could work on aircraft. I'm not, you know, I, you put a gun in my hand. I don't know what the crap to do, but I I can figure things out. I mean, heck I worked at Radio Shack for two years. Right. By the way, this is back in the day when Radio Shack was actually cool. And you could ask questions when you go in there. I was one of those people that would actually help people out. But, um, so I got and I found uh, basically in maps, if anybody else has joined the military, you go to maps and they give you this big giant book and you flip through it. And I saw uh, troubleshooting avionic systems, wiring systems, radar, radios. And I was like, that looks fun. So I got into it. Uh, and since then, it's been all over the place. Uh, you know, it, it primarily it's, it's always been around aircraft. But I have had some deployments, just like anybody in the military that's been in for uh, longer than 10 years. You go on deployments that have nothing to do with your career field. It just happens. Uh, and then you get a few special duty assignments. I got to be an administrator and had to make sure that we had the, the NIST compatibility with all of the technical orders on the flight line. Okay. Still having to do with, air, with aircraft a little bit, but I had to implement uh, – iPads on the flight line, which aren't allowed to touch the Air Force network, and then I had to fix up these laptops, had to be an admin and all that, and I really enjoyed it. I wrote a lot of custom scripts, and that was one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do uh, because <laughs> I'm, I'm writing scripts, and then a, a NIST would come out, 
uh, like with a new thing from the NSA saying, okay, this is restricted, this is restricted. So I would have to change my script about once every two or three months in order for me to check on my assets because I was trying to keep an eye on everything. Uh, basically, I'm lazy, so I scripted my own job out of existence, but that's okay. I love it. Not a big deal, but I, but primarily my core uh, computer stuff has always just been a hobby for me, um, and it was really exciting to get to do it at work. But if you're a 2-alpha, which is an aircraft maintainer, or having to do with uh, direct support of a mission, you can only leave that position for three years. Once three years are up, you're back out to the flight line. You're back to freezing your ass off or burning up in the heat or you're dealing with the noise and the chemicals and the RF radiation and all that stuff. Mm. So I've always had to go back to it. Um, and, and honestly, if there's anybody that listens to this podcast that's interested in uh, the nuts and bolts of joining the military and how to get into the position you want to get into, I can help them out a little bit because uh, there's a lot of difficulty in lateral movement that I found because I have tried to go into a comm or cybersecurity position in the military. But because I'm coming from avionics, they will not let me go. It's mm. just because uh, aircraft maintainers are hard to come by. We're much needed. And uh, about 25% of us make it from <laughs> tech school to, uh, you know, to the end of career. Wow. It's just, it just burns a lot of people out. So luckily I'm insane, so it doesn't burn me out. <laughs> it just, I'm just kooky enough to make it work. Um, but uh, I had, uh, I got into this, this weirdness with uh, cybersecurity because I lucked out. I literally deployed with the Army. On something completely unrelated, I was a customs inspector for stuff, retrograde assets coming back from Afghanistan. And I saw a posting on the wall that said, uh, Security Plus certification, just show up for two weeks and take the class and we'll give it to you. Right. And uh, I talked to my commander and she was fine with it. And I went and um, went to the class and it was stuff that I was familiar with. And it was – it really – it made me realize that I had already been doing cybersecurity when I didn't realize I'd been doing it because I'd been standing up Linux machines and Linux machines were all about the, the user, what a user can do, you know, limiting how users work and all that stuff. And when it came to rollback and all that other stuff, I already understood the principles. Same thing with networking. When you are, when you're at home trying to set up your own shared network and, uh, your own NAS and your own web server and your own email server, mm -hmm. you end up learning a lot of stuff. And so when I went to Security Plus, I had already understand, understood a lot of the fundamentals simply because of hobby. And I was like, wait a minute, I think cybersecurity may be a good fit for me. So after I got my certification, I took the CCNA class as well. Um, I passed the CCNA class, uh, got an accommodation from the Army, which I thought was kind of cool because I was leading the class and teaching them stuff. But <laughs> I did not get my CCNA because at the time I did not work in the domain for a year. You had to work in that domain for a year. And so, you know, here I am passing the class, but I'm unable to get the certification because experience. I did oh. not have the work experience. But um, I, I started – I started – once I had the, the knowledge of what security was and I had a, a nice foundation of it uh, – I started applying some of those principles to avionics systems, and I started noticing some problems. Um, and, and that was the whole point of putting the talk together. I, I put the talk together because it's kind of a call to action. I'm trying to get people in the cybersecurity community into avionics, uh, showing you guys it's not as complicated as you think it is. Aircraft avionics are actually pretty simple. 
Uh, here's the tools. I'm going to give you guys the tools, see if we can break it so we can make it stronger. And so I put together that talk for that reason. And I was super excited that everyone in the community was so welcoming. And, and, and I wouldn't even have done it if it wasn't for people like um, Larry Pesci. I met him a few years ago and I just mentioned the talk that I had in my head and he said, we need to hear this. We would love to hear it. And, you know, I, I, I went it. and gave that. So a shout out to them and, and their podcast, but, um, what is his podcast? That's the, he's with the Paul Asadorian and the security weekly guys. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And John strands on that too. That's how I found out about wild west hacking fest, oh. you know, and the fact that I live in Deadwood, it's right there. So I was like, well, I might as well volunteer for this and see what happens. Oh my gosh. And can I just say like a quick side note that, so you you obviously were the one who introduced me to Wild West Hack and Fest. Um, I didn't know about it until like, you know, we first connected and, and you told me about it. But like, what an amazing conference. It's so small and intimate that you get to really like interact with people. And if you want to be able to talk to the speakers, like that is an option, right? Yes, absolutely. Like, and, I think and, and what's funny is the one you went to was the biggest crowd we've ever had before that the first crowd was 600 people and we still had ed scotus there we had larry pesci we had um dave kennedy yeah dave kennedy and we had uh uh johnny long who was one of my favorites i freaking love what he's doing uh johnny long i, I saw him on hack five back in the day um and you know saw the work he was doing you know he's the one that took a pineapple to Congress to show them what it was, what yeah. kind of vulnerabilities are available, you know? So, so amazing. it was really cool getting to hang out with these people. Um, and I think and, that and, people should yeah. know that like it's capped at a certain amount. Like this year, I think it was capped at 800 and, and it sold out. And so yeah. like people, like these are the type of conferences I think people need to like try to get to like yeah it's in, it's in deadwood south dakota and like for a florida girl like that was a really amazing experience <laughs> yeah, I right i had to like i had to look at the snow i did too like remember because you picked me up from the airport and like i was like hold on stop i need to pick up the snow and throw it at you but yeah like um it, so it's it's an awesome Honestly, like, I feel like this is a conference I'm going to try and go to every year for multiple reasons. Number one, Deadwood is like the cutest little town ever, right? Like there's what, 2,500 people that actually live called Deadwood home. Yeah. And it was just really fun to like ride the trolley and see the interactions between the locals. And, um, it's just, it, it, come on. Come on, Ushi. I know you liked it because the town is is whiskey centric. Well, listen, you know that, <laughs> that that is always my my number one thing. But like, I it was just it was so much fun. Like, I enjoyed, I enjoyed kind of learning about the history and like I feel like the next. I'm hoping this year when I go, I want to stay a little bit longer, and maybe come in an extra day, leave an extra day later or whatever because like. I like, first of all, I'm such, I'm such a dork. Like I did not realize that like Rushmore was like just down the street. So <laughs> yeah. I did not get to partake in that. And that's so funny because like Mount Rushmore is on my bucket list, but, um, so, and it was under construction and all that shit. That's what we'll call it. We'll say that's why I didn't go. 
But what I thought was cool was, like, there's just so many cool things about the conference. Like, it's small, but yet there's really amazing speakers. Like, I think you told me, like, Dave Kennedy's been there, like, every year, right? Like, Yep. And and he's such an amazing person, and we actually have him coming up on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. But like, it was terrific. I know. I feel like, I, I yeah, he's he was. Oh, and, and for anybody, if for anybody listening, um, and Dave's probably gonna hate this, but he's one of those people that is very very approachable. Um, super down to earth. Dave surprised the crap out of me when I'm sitting at the Saloon 10 in Deadwood, and he comes up and puts his arm around me and goes, how you doing, Nick? I'm like, oh, God, you know who I am. Hi. Yeah. What's up? And it surprised the crap out of me. That was yeah. uh, the second the second year, the second World Bless. And honestly, that. like when I met him, like super briefly, um, and he walked up to our table, and like I was like, oh, my gosh, we follow each other on Twitter. And he's like, yeah, we do. And it was like, and if I hadn't had already talked to you, I probably would have thought he's just being kind, but he's actually a really interesting person. And when I reached out to him, um, you know, he's so, he's such a well, big deal. And when I, I have to say this too, about the cybersecurity community, InfoSec community, I've never met a more welcoming group of people. A thousand ever. percent agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it because we're all a little odd. Yes. I mean, to be in cybersecurity, you got to mm-hmm. be. We all got to have our own little afflictions of yep. weirdness in order to do the job. Otherwise, yep. you'd lose your goddamn mind. Yep. But because of that, it's a very welcoming community. And they understand what it's like to be, you know, feel a little bit outcast or be a little quiet, you and, know. And yes, I have never been in a – and I, I know this is – we're both gushing over silliness, but – I've never been in a more welcoming community. I mean, even with you guys on Twitter, you know, um, yeah. it's it's an amazing community. It really is. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I actually just tweeted something today um, saying like, you know, so I just moved my entire life and my son to the D.C. area. And it's funny to me because currently right now, my tribe, like my <laughs> tribe of people are all people that I have met on Twitter and like a bunch of them are in this DC area and I have met them like in real life and they check on me and they like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing okay. And do I need anything? And it's just, it's amazing. But I think that you're right. Like, and that's, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like for people who might be, might have smaller um, accounts on Twitter and don't feel as, um, immersed into this community. Like I want them to engage. I want them to like, when I first started with Twitter to like, to, to like reply on somebody's tweet that I didn't know was very weird to me and very kind of like odd, but like people need to just engage because this community is amazingly supportive. And, and honestly, like this whole podcast started because of Twitter, it because of people who were supportive of me and just my crazy outlook on life and infosec and whiskey. Like, um, I probably would not have pushed forward like I did if it were not for the support of like the amazing community that's out there. And I think you really nailed it when you said we're all really awkward people. I think that's part of just, you know, 
when you get into yeah. like tech, right? Like the the, the stereotypical well, tech people. <laughs> well, I don't know how to put it, but for me, I never felt like I could relate well with people. But it was really nice to be able to put a few commands into a computer mm-hmm. or, you know, solder together a board that actually did what I wanted it to do. Because it or, always happens. And it, and it works, you know, and I it learn and works. I grow. And it, it was really cool. I mean, that's just the way it is. And yes. I think there's a lot of people that have that same, wow, I'm really drunk. Okay. There's a lot of people <laughs> that have that same idea yes. of, uh, you know, with, we just, we, we retreat into that. And I know I did <laughs> for a fact. I absolutely did. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Like, I feel like I, I have gotten a lot of messages from people, um, in regards to this podcast and, and a lot of the people that end up messaging me are people that who are new into cybersecurity are trying to like either break in or just learn. Um, maybe they have like their regular full-time jobs and they're just like you said, kind of like a security enthusiast and are really interested in it. And, you know, some people, like there was one particular person that I have in my head that had reached out and said like, and like, you know, I feel like, I feel like what we do here is really just like, I like to drink and have fun and chat with my friends. And so like, that's kind of where this podcast led to was like, Hey Nick, I like you. Let's drink together and have a chat while we, you know, record it. Um, Absolutely. But I think that like the things that we discuss and like people understanding that like this is approachable and you can get in here no matter where you're from. Like one of the things that I, I kind of actually was taking notes while you were talking was, you know, you kept saying that you weren't really in security, even though you are, but like, maybe that's not your full-time job and that's not what you get paid by the Air Force to do, but like you found the security, you know, spots and, and what needed to be addressed in your own life. And I think that's like a big, I think that's something people need to focus on that. Like not, maybe you're not currently insecurity where you want to be but you can always find that in your life i'm actually i'm actually in a position now in security that scares that scares me but it has has driven me and pushed me to just excel a little bit further which is great i think it's great and i think it's what i like most about it is that people are going to hear that and relate to that i think like even if you're not in the military um and by the way thank you for your service i i was thinking that earlier, but you were talking and I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, I'm a huge patriot of our country. So anybody that is, has committed themselves to the service of it, I just want to hug. Um, but yeah, so like, I feel like people need to understand that, like, no matter where I'm you are, huggable and I smell like jet fuel. So you are huggable. Cause I have hugged you and I know <laughs> that you're huggable. <laughs> you didn't smell like jet fuel when I met you though. Um, well, I'm going to make sure I get my coveralls nice and dirty for yeah. the San Diego talk. So. <laughs> I probably won't make San Diego, but I will make Deadwood. I'm going to try and make sure that Deadwood happens next oh, year. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Deadwood no matter what. Well, yeah, uh, no matter you, what's going on in my life, I will you go can, to Because you can literally walk to it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, well, yeah, you saw where my house is. I can I, throw a, a softball and hit the convention center. So. Well, and you know what's funny is like – so we should mention, right? Well, we kind of did, but like – so when I flew up to Deadwood, <laughs> coming from Florida, and you had told me like, hey, it's probably going to snow, 
Um, and I think you had previously told me that like, there's only what, like 25% of the year that is not covered in snow in Deadwood. It's, it's a little more than that, but it, it feels like that to us, you know? Well, and what it was funny like to me was like the last day of the conference, the snow had melted away, right? It got to like 40 degrees or whatever, which like for Florida people, 40 degrees is like, holy shit. Like, yeah, and I, I was walking around in a pair of shorts. Right. So. Like, you totally were. And, and, a, and a, well, because the last night was dead weird, which was so much fun. But, anyways, and you had on that, like, whole outfit. But so, like, what I thought was funny was, like, at some of the casinos, they had, like, <laughs> like, AstroTurf in the, um, in, like, the parking lots. Like, that was, like, their quote-unquote lawn. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it's green. It's not real, because it's astroturf. But, yeah, like, I just thought that was funny. Like, but I totally <laughs> enjoyed myself in the snow. I felt like a little kid. Um, I totally took a bunch of selfies of myself when it was snowing heavily. Um, my I think it was my first night there that it was snowing, and I had my, you know my little winter coat on and oh yeah 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 florida girl in the in did the not snow. crocs i did not <laughs> fuck you i did not i do not own crocs well actually i, I take that back you were I, joking and told me you were gonna wear you that you, all you have is crocs no i, I told you all i had was flip-flops <laughs> mm. i do own a pair of croc flip-flops which fyi are you, comfortable as fuck but they're not if this, it makes you feel any better i do own two pairs of crocs but it's because i use them as shower shoes when i deploy yeah i don't own those kind of crocs <laughs> Oh my gosh. But yes, I think yeah. people people should seek out those smaller conferences. Like Yes, absolutely. Because honestly, like and even like so De so Wild West Hackenfest Deadwood um and I don't know if the other did as well, but like they had a um a discount if you were a student. Um you just had to email them with your from your student email address in order to get that discount code. Well, you can volunteer too. And you can They always volunteer. need volunteers. Like that's which I think is I think people don't think as much about the volunteering aspect of these conferences, but like a lot of these conferences like depend on that. So that's super yeah, important. They do. So they absolutely do cuz I that's that's what got started. That's how I got started in that. I heard about it from John Strand on their Security Weekly podcast and then I volunteered for it. And every year I've been a volunteer uh for it and i absolutely love it i just i had to apologize this last year i mean so it was the first time i had to speak in public in front of cybersecurity people so i was a nervous wreck and and <laughs> did the amazing. first but i was volunteering at the conference as well and i apologized a million times to her and she said that okay i made up for it because i was a speaker and, and that was okay but uh yeah uh but other than that i had always been a a, a volunteer but they uh, like right now I'm going to San Diego because they want me to go and speak. I'm, I have to expand on the talk that I did. So, yeah. So for people who don't know, um, <clears throat> Deadwood started a really cool program where they called it what new speaker track. It's a, uh, well, I called it new speaker track and I was told not to call it that, but <laughs> oh. it's a, it's a new speaker training. 
and then they give us a stage for 30 minutes. And before that, we actually had uh, two online classes that we had to attend and, and um, taught by you know, like teleconferences. Uh, and John Strand taught it and everyone else. And they were telling us a bunch of stuff, which um, is and not to interrupt you, but just for people, because we've mentioned John Strand a bunch. And so yeah. for people who are not aware, he is the what is his t- his official title? Well, he's the owner CEO of Black Hills Information oh, Security. Exactly, but and and on our very first podcast, we had um, they supplied us with their uh, the card deck. Their card deck, yeah. Black, blah, 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 blah. I can't even speak. Backdoors and breaches, which was hella fun. But I just wanted yeah. to make sure people knew who that was. Like, um, and he's a super cool dude as well. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He is. He's very, he's very cool. So continue. Um, so like, so we, so they started and the purpose of this from what you explained to me and what I gathered was for people who had never spoke at a conference before, it kind of like, it can be difficult to get your call for paper in well, and accepted. It, may I um, expand on it? Yeah. In, in the classes that we did online, he actually said, you know, we always pick our favorites. We pick people that are always going to the conferences or I've always done other conferences. And he goes, yeah, it's a club. And yeah. if you're not part of the club, you don't get to speak in public. And he goes, I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm just saying it because that's the way things are, well, you know, and because I don't necessarily well, disagree. It's, I mean, right. It's, and it's not, and it's not even in a mean way. It's the fact that they know what to expect from certain speakers Mm -hmm. because they've spoken in public and they've done conferences and they've done things like that. So it's very hard to get your foot in the door. And so he said he wanted to do this workshop and he actually gave a few examples of terrific talks on um, vulnerabilities that could have really saved a lot of people, a lot of heartache, but those talks weren't approved because they weren't somebody that had done it before right and so he wanted to do this new speakers workshop and all wild west Hackenfest from now on is going to be doing the new speakers workshop and i um, think that's amazing yeah and it, and it was absolutely amazing uh so like i said because i had people tell me you know the the thing that you were thinking about that you want to research and you want to present out there is actually worth something um, so I went ahead and submitted it for the new speaker workshop and it got approved. Uh, so amazing. Yeah. I have some, I haven't really told many people, but I have a, um, I have a talk in my head that I'm kind of, um, toying around with that. I actually want to do exactly that. I think I'm going to hold back and, and su- submit it for, um, for Deadwood next year or this it's year. It's a secret, huh? It is a secret right now. Heck yeah. I'm still figuring all the details out and exactly what I want to, what I want to talk about. But yeah, I think, um, but I think that's a great, I think it's a great platform for people who are in the cybersecurity community, have maybe a voice into something, but just haven't done it before. And like, what I think is great is like, you had told me like, and you just mentioned like, there were, you guys did some training. Like you got John Strand to talk to you about the best way to present your idea. And, and that's just, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. They, they gave us some terrific uh, presentation ideas. Uh, unfortunately, and I've told you this before, I, I tend to take the long way around. You know, I, I don't ever have any problems. The, like 
the talk that he was talking about on how to speak in public and what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing theater in college and then in the military, we have to speak in public all the time. We have to give presentations. Uh, and so I, I kind of have this, you know, I've been through all that stuff and, but it's not to negate the training. It's great training. I, I in fact, I, I tell anybody, if you're going to get into cybersecurity, don't go the way that I went. Cause I went the long way around, you know, we're talking 18 years in the military and, you know, four years doing theater workshops and freaking uh, doing an admin and being an admin on my local network and all that stuff. Do not go the way I went. It's the long way around. It's the hardest way to do this stuff. But the the class and the workshop, if you were attended, they, they give you some really beautiful tips on how to present. Um, and I even messed up a lot of the tips they, they gave me. Uh, <laughs> of course, that's what we all do is. Uh, they said, watch the talk after you give it so you can see where you messed up and then be able to correct from there. So doing the same thing. Uh, but I, I completely tell people, please do not go the way I went because it's a lot of crazy hard work and you got to be at least a little bit goofball in the head and you got to be drunk and you got to be able to go on stage all over the world to theater festivals and all that stuff to, to do it my way. And I, I, urge people not to do it that way because that's the wrong way to do it. So I'm going to interject for a second because yeah. number one, your talk was amazing. But you, I missed, I left so much out. Yeah, that but I'm, that's I'm just because you had, a, you had a very short time span. And so that totally makes sense. But like, I would just say that, um, you, you did amazing. And I think it's important for people to know too, like, go from where you're at, right? Like I'm so like one of my, my, my favorite things about having you on today is like, I have realized in the last few episodes that I'm kind of wanting to like promote people who are trying to get in here. Right. Like, um, this is a, it's, this is a fun podcast because we drink and we talk about the stuff that's, that's passionate to us and yours is avionics and like the security flaws that are there and figuring it out. But like, I think the other thing too, to, to point out is like, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter like who signs your paycheck or what your technical title is. You can still do things that are significant and you can still do things that are important to you. And it doesn't matter that you don't work for, you know, some huge cybersecurity company, right? Like, um, right. You work for the Air Force, you are an avionics um, maintainer, and yet you still have... There we go. Are we ready to do this? B-1 Weapon Systems Controller, Bomber Special Integrated Communication Navigation Systems Craftsman, OAS, Offensive Avionics Systems. That's my title. That is sexy. <clears throat> <laughs> but I think like people should know like just because you aren't like, you know, like you have... Com- you have you have, um, uh, shit, what's the word I'm looking for? You have contributed to the information security community in a very big way, even though it may seem small to you because you're that guy, but like you, you've started something that I think is going to continue. And I think it's going to grow because I think avionics is something that people haven't completely considered yet. And when I watched your talk, and of course I went to your talk partly because I knew you and wanted to support you, but like I watched the crowd during your, your talk and 
they loved you. Everybody was into what you had to say. It didn't, it didn't hurt that you are naturally talented in front of people. And uh, no, 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 it's not naturally. Like I said, I went the wrong, the long way around. I'm going to disagree with you, but unfortunately, you, I had to go the long way around. <laughs> you were very charismatic and everyone just loved your enthusiasm and your energy and you were funny and like that you had just, it was, it was great. And like, honestly, like when we waited for you afterwards, the group of people that I was with that I, that I drug along with me, um, they were so like every, cause we had the guys from, um, Colorado, Colorado. Yep. and they were so excited to just, and of course they had already met you, right? Like they had already, um, we had met down at the bar. Um, when we were doing the CTF. And CTF. You, oh, it's a good CTF too. It was really a good CTF. And you had stopped by and said hi and all the guys thought you were great. And then like, I was like, yeah, we got to go support Nick and we got to watch his, his talk. And, and you know, you really hope that the people that you like, that you're friends with are going to do a good talk and that they're not going to bomb it. And you surpassed that by far. Like you just did such an amazing job. And Everybody wanted to like, they kept like, we waited around for quite some time hoping that you were going to, you know, like you had gone back to your, you know, famous people then or whatever you were doing. And we hung out because they were just so excited and thought that you did such an amazing job. And I think it's important for people to understand that just because maybe you aren't in that position that has some, you know, weird cybersecurity title doesn't mean that you can't contribute to the community because you certainly well, did and you're continuing to do it and you're going to be in San Diego on, you know, like doing not the, the new speakers track, correct? All right, I'm, I'm totally going to plug this. Plug it. Yeah, I'll be in San Diego, Wild West Hackenfest, the far west Wild West Hackenfest, <laughs> uh, Friday, March 13th at 1 p.m. And I will be giving the same talk, but it's going to be expanded a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and this time I'm going to stay a little bit more on track. Uh, I'll take as many questions as I can. It's the avionics primer for security researchers. Um, I love it. And I, I, I do think it's important that um, hackers understand that, you know, the aircraft avionics is not something that, uh, I mean, when you first think of it, you're like, oh my God, this could be so complicated. And I just wanted to give a talk to go, hey guys, we've got vulnerabilities. This is the basics of the systems. Please get involved. Let's see if we can fix this bullshit. Um, I mean, I'm because you can look at this, Ushi. Uh, you've got a system with avionics. Um, when things fail, they have to fail to open. You know, like if the entire avionics bus system crashes on an aircraft, they still need to have a radio available. So it has to fail to open. And so because of that, it has a ridiculous amount of vulnerabilities. And the whole point of the talk was a call to action. And the greatest thing, better than anything else that I could have ever had from that talk, was people approached me interested. And because so many people were interested that are very like hard hitters in the community, this is even after the talk, uh, Chris K Kubeka. She did some hacking and found some vulnerabilities in Boeing software. Was she there? No, she wasn't there. She contacted me oh. after the fact. Okay. And then we have uh, – uh, she gave me a lot of information, and and some of my stuff overlaps what she has seen. You know, like, for instance, um, 
if somebody was an avionics person, they could go through and inject really bad code into the Boeing laptops that would be used to load avionics systems, like a, you know, an air air computer and stuff like that, which is where what takes all the information. Uh, but the whole point of the talk was to show people, guys, this isn't as difficult as you think it is. And and I look at it as the guys that are trying to bring ICS controls to the cybersecurity space. And I think it's important that we can try to lock this stuff down because there are people working on this and they're all working on it behind closed doors. But I think that when the community can get involved, we can actually find some real solutions to this, not DOD. This is how we can bring down the enemy type solutions, but mm -hmm. solutions to keep bad things from happening. Um, and when you sit down and you look at how avionic systems are set up, including Airbus, which it blew my mind. And I, and I gave that in the talk, which is Airbus is actually using uh, TCP IP on the ARINC 664. It's their, uh, it's their system, like how their radios are hooked up, their navigation equipment is hooked up, their mission computers and their, say, autopilot systems. They're all on a normal Ethernet switching network with IPv4. And so if somebody's in the back of the aircraft and they manage to get on that network, what kind of damage can they cause? Exactly. So the idea is to get everyone involved so we can help solve these problems before it is a problem. Because I can't even imagine um, a situation where an aircraft gets hacked and it being a, you know, oh, we're going to hack you for money. No, this is, I mean, I hate to say it. I'm trying to be an anti-terrorist type situation here. Yeah. Because the only, the only benefit you get from that is from is by making a political statement. Right. And so for me, from, from where I come from and then seeing, you know, when I first sat down on the C-17 avionics um, fault list and started messing around with this, the LRUs, which are line replaceable units, I started looking at it. I saw IP addresses on the CDU, which is the control display unit. I was like, Ooh, a lot of people know how to ex you know, how to take advantage of this. This could be a problem in the future. So it's just, it's important that we try to fix this problem. And that was the whole push behind this talk. It's, um, and, and all I do is uh, everything in my talk, <laughs> because I'm in the military, I can only talk about so much. So I right. can't talk about the things that aren't available to the public. Right. So everything in the talk, um, I have a reference for and a resource for that is available to the public. Uh, because I can't speak on my own experiences in the secret environment, right. you know, but I can speak on knowledge based on avionic systems in general and then pulling that in and then searching online because I know what to look for. Uh, but a lot of security people don't know, you know, it's just because that's not where you're coming from. And that's why I like to give to people about getting into cybersecurity. I am very far experience wise from a cybersecurity person. I'm an avionics, I'm a dirty JP eight, um, mech freaking, I smell like jet fuel and <laughs> electronic discharges all the time. And I've, you know, I've had to absorb countless amounts of radiation and freaking sound waves and everything else. Stop. But you self deprecate, but you are actually very smart and I think you have quite a bit of knowledge that a lot of people don't have. Well, that well, that's the thing, though, is is I'm approaching it from an aircraft mechanic 
perspective instead of a cybersecurity perspective. And I yeah. think it gives me a unique advantage over Absolutely. that. And that's why I'm trying to pull the community into it. And the greatest thing about when I gave the talk was that so many people gave me their business cards, not because, ooh, it feeds my ego or, ooh, this is great, but because that was the whole point. I wanted people to get involved. I want people to look at this stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but on my all of my links are bit.ly links, and I found it very interesting what people looked up after I gave my talk. Yeah? Yeah. So do you want to hear some, some interesting metrics? Hell yeah. Okay, so for instance, um, I was speaking about the, the different data links that we have with civilian and military aircraft. And there is a system called Link 16 that the military uses for uh, – it's little combat situational awareness. They can do target acquisition. Um, the commander can give the kill command or retreat or whatever, all on this network. And I've gotten about 180 clicks on <laughs> uh, Link 16. Wow. But everything else is about three or four clicks. So that tells me that the hacker community is interested in breaking something. Um, it's funny to me that they go straight for the thing that's the most secure, but that's okay. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. But still, that's a that's a good decent amount of of clicks. Yeah, it it absolutely was, and that was the whole point of the talk. I want people to get engaged in this. Um, that's why I give the avionics <laughs> primer for hackers. It is changing over time. I found some things that are worrying in the civilian market. Uh, with the civilian technologies that are coming out. Um, just doing research on the civilian side, because I come from the military side. So I understand the basics, but when I started looking at the um, civilian side of things, they're starting to do more and more data link connections. And those data link connections are not protected. And the underlying protocol for it, which is VDL2, uh, VHF data link 2, doesn't have any security inherent into the network. So, you know, you're looking at back in the 1990s when you have the network with, you know, TCP IP before you have HTTPS. You know what I mean? Right. It's that type of situation, except we're transmitting over VHF uh, systems. We're sending entire flight plans. We're sending weather stuff. We're sending system updates. And none of it's protected. That's crazy. Yeah. I yeah. Like and I think that's the biggest takeaway from this is that we just assume that things are protected because they're important. Right. Well, this this I'm sure everybody that deals with ICS is having the same issues. Yeah. Um industrial control systems are the same way. Um, for the longest time, we have security through obscurity, you know, mm -hmm. and avionics systems are the same way. But now we have pilots and co-pilots bringing iPads onto the aircraft. We have um, maintenance crews, uh, maintenance. I was part of the rollout to bring iPads out to the flight line so we could have technical orders on the flight line. And you've got these devices in the environment that don't necessarily belong there. And uh, I, I don't know for a fact uh, whether or not the crew are connecting their personal devices and, and uploading flight plans or not. But the possibility is there. And you and I both know what BOHD can bring to an environment or 
bring your own BYOD. I'm sorry. I'm retarded. <laughs> BYOD. It's like I said, gym. I'm new to the security space. So I'm trying to – y'all's acronyms are way different than the acronyms that I'm used to. I'm calling the gin as the, the culprits. Yeah, okay. So 68 clicks on the T-A-D-I-L-J. <laughs> I just looked at it. Which is great because I the cybersecurity community needs to look at – yeah. This stuff, I want you guys to see it. Um, you're smarter than me when it comes to cybersecurity, and I'm just trying to give that bridge. Um, oh, I mean, like I even said, that one of the opening lines of my talk is we're all going to die. And that's the whole point. I want to try to bridge that gap. That so was you guys pretty funny, it. by the way, when you did that little bit. <laughs> well, I, that's just that's just how I feel, you know. Um, I feel that it's an, it's an important system, and it's not – it's not – I will never speak bad about the engineers. They have a lot of crazy stuff to overcome, but the um, they're not going to approach things with security. They're going to approach things with availability. Well, I think that's really important to point out is that you know it's not only in avionics but in pretty much everything. We have – like we – we're in such a, a unique place in our culture right now where – you know, back in the 90s, we were just concerned about getting things to work. You know, we just wanted it to do what we needed it to do. And we weren't concerned about the security implications of it because at that time, there was a very select few people who were even thinking about that, right? Um, we didn't think about what nefarious things that people could do when they got into things. So I think, like, you know, we have to understand that there are engineers, that their entire job is to make shit work and their their job is not necessarily to make sure that the bad guys can't access it and that's why we have cybersecurity right like we have right. we have engineers in cybersecurity that their job is to figure out the security um, concerns and it's great if you can combine the two and you can have an engineer who is uh, like a, a like a development DevOps engineer who's you know concerned or can at least have that security mindset, but you know sometimes that's just not it. Like they're concerned with getting shit to work, and so they're not worried about what the backdoors are and what possible you know vulnerabilities might exist. And so there's a whole another set of people who do that. So. Um, yeah, so I just, like, I, I don't want the, like, I don't want to, like you said, you know, you don't want to talk bad about the engineers. It's not their fault. They're just trying to get shit to work. Yep. They're not necessarily thinking about the, the security implications that, that could be there. And then with, uh, also what you get with aircraft is there's a lot of, there's not a lot of redundancy on the systems because you always have to deal with the weight. So, um, if they can integrate <laughs> systems into one line replaceable unit, one LRU, They'll do it. The problem with that is you have one point of failure. Right. Um, I've actually got an example of that if if you want to hear it. Of course. Uh, 2008, we had a C-17 that was struck by lightning. Um, and the electronic control unit that controls all the power on the aircraft <laughs> reset in flight. Oh they God. got the aircraft down on the ground. They had like 270 or more civilians in the back this is 2008 we were doing a um, humanitarian mission in Pakistan and what happened was uh, they were evacuating people and they were flying through a storm and the storm was so bad it was worse than they expected 
that it was actually stripping the paint off the front of the wings of the aircraft. I only know this because I went over there to repair it. But when it got struck by lightning, it lost a couple thousand feet. They got it on the ground. It was a, you know, they, they landed it. Awesome crew. Freaking heroes. I mean, amazing that they did this. They landed the aircraft, were able to, to take care of everything. But we had to go there and replace all the stuff on the systems. The problem is you had one point of failure. When the aircraft got struck by lightning, that one box, which controlled all of the, you know, where the power was going to go on the aircraft, it reset. And so that was something else that pushed me into this. So what if, you know, a hacker were able to put that device into standby? Right. You know, what if you were able to put that into standby to accept a load? Because we always do um, the flight plan reloads. So we do, it's like a firmware load for aircraft parts. We do that quite often. It's about once every six months, seven months. And I know the civilians probably do it more often. But what if you were able to send that command via a data link from the ground, you know, and tell the aircraft, hey, go to standby because you're going to reload this piece of hardware? Yeah. You could have a problem. Um, Yeah. And and like I said, it's one of the many things that have pushed me into this uh, to say we might have an issue here. I'm so thankful that we have people like you, though, that consider those things. I think that, like, as a civilian who, you know, doesn't know the background, like, we just assume that that's already been considered. Oh, I I know. And a lot of people do. I, I even considered that it was already considered. But when I stepped into the cybersecurity space, um... And as I told you, I'm intimidated as hell by this, but I'm, I'm willing to step up to the challenge and do the research that's required. But I've been asked, you know, hey, where did the forums go to for aircraft hacking? Who do we talk to? Where's the user group? Where's all these people that are doing aircraft hacking? And I'm like, I, I think I'm it. I haven't seen them. I haven't found them. Yeah. But by the way, if you guys are into that, you know, freaking text me because we'll put together a group. But the group doesn't exist. Again, um, you are at Box Swapper, B-O-X-S-W-A-P-P-U-R. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, just so people can reach out because there, there definitely seems to be a niche here that hasn't really been explored. Absolutely. And the more people get involved, the better off it's going to be. Yeah, Absolutely. That, which is, I think, like that for, you know, most things security related. The more people and the more eyes and the more, you know, minds that we have, um, you know, thinking on a subject and a, and a vulnerability, the, the better off we're going to be. Absolutely. So that's so, I'm having such a great time talking with you. We've hit like over an hour already. I feel like I could like talk to you forever on these. I talk too much. Don't worry about it. No, you don't. I, oh my gosh, I talk too much. But, um, so I'm just, this has been so much fun. I, we've pretty much, even though I didn't like officially ask you questions, like we meandered through all of the questions that I had set out for us, which is good. It was organic. Oh, come on. You, you don't have anything you can pull off the top of your head? Oh, I can always pull things off the top of my head. Okay, fair enough. You want me to go with one? Let's so oh, let's right. let's say um what was your first hacking experience? Uh my first hacking experience would be the um holiday hack challenge 2018. Okay. 
but uh, I would say like physical, like to be physically present at a hacking event would be CCDC uh, same year. The Colloquial is... Cybersecurity Defense Competition. That was so much fun. Nice. And where was that? Uh, that was actually in um, the University of South Dakota. Nice. Um, I got to represent the uh, School of Mines. It felt really weird being in my late 30s and everyone else being 18, 19, and 20. Right. Yeah. But I still got to be part of that team, and they basically introduce you to an environment and uh, they give you very little information. So the first thing you have to do, of course, is you show up, take inventory of what you have, and try to reduce your attack surface without taking down your, you know, your services. And they spend two days hacking you. Nice. And, you know, the only problem is I'm in the military, so eight eight hour day is like, no, 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 I'm not done yet. They go, well, yeah, but the competition's over. We got to come back the next day and do eight <laughs> hours. It's like, come on, let's do a full twenty four hour. Or 48 hours just straight through. Let's just push this. But apparently nobody else wants to be that hardcore about it. But that was that was the most fun and the most engaging competition I've ever been part of. Uh, so if anybody ever sees a CCDC come up around at their university, I, I just get into it. It is so much fun. I think that's, you know, I've only done so far like one official CTF, which was at um, Wild West Hack and Fest this last year. And I showed up like just with my laptop and like, all right, let's see how this shit goes. Because I had seen, you know, some threads on Twitter that were like, just go and do it and figure it out. And like, you know, I, I knew some basic stuff. I had taken some, um, you know, some like really, you know, high level kind of, or maybe medium level hacking courses in my, um, grad school. And, so I was just like, all right, I know how to end map. Let's, let's do this. Right. And I think it's really important for people to know, like, just show up. Like, they're going to give you enough information to get started. And then between that and Google, you should be able to, to kind of figure it out. And I think it's important, right? Like, for people Absolutely. to just get yeah. into it. And I, I love that you mentioned that because I think there's so many people out there that are just like, don't know where to start. And, like, if you have those opportunities available to you, like, just get in it. Do it. Well, yeah, if you're if you're a college kid, you can go and try to represent your team at CCDC uh, because all the universities have a team. Um, I mean, I, I will admit I was the weakest player on the weakest team at that conference, but that's okay. I wouldn't – I could not trade how much fun I had. Yeah. Um, just trying to defend a network and that I've never even done that before. I made so many mistakes, but I, I was, I have a safety net, you know, I mean, it's a fake environment. It's a, you know, it's, it's a fake situation. We had a dictator that we had to make sure he had all security. He had, he had all his services available to him. And it was kind of fun in that we had voting machines that our voting machine got hacked. And, um, now that I think about it, one of my favorite hackers was actually hacking us. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. I, I met him at one of the Wild West Hacking Fests. I'll remember his name in a minute. But That's um, awesome. Uh, but he's he's one of my favorite hackers, and get, I met him at that at that uh, competition. And two of the hackers were were in SA. So the idea is Very we're cool. gonna lose. Yeah. But the fun thing is the experience itself, working as a team, trying to communicate, 
uh, we created a few products. I actually made a GitHub product based on that, which is called a spike. It's a uh, like a cert uh, response device to use in order to respond to it. Nice. I use my DOD maintenance operations control center uh, experience as well as what I learned to put that together. It's PDF. I it's open source. Anybody can use it, can use it. If you want to make changes, that's great. But it's, I got that and I took it to the CC, the CCDC so that whenever we would get an incident, we would start logging everything. And we actually had one of the best logging systems out of everybody else for uh, incident response, which I thought was cool. But yeah, which, you're you know, not in security. I'm not in security yeah. at all. I'm, calling, I'm just a dumb aircraft mechanic. I'm calling so. bullshit on that, but <laughs> I think I, you know, I don't though. I think that's a good point to like for people is, you know, a lot of people do that. They self-deprecate and they think that they don't commute. They don't, um, uh, um, fuck, I can't think of the word. They don't contribute to the community in the way that they think that they should or could or are supposed to. And yet, here you are telling us that you're not in security, that you're just a dumb aircraft maintainer, when clearly that is not the case. And I think we all do that to ourselves. We all think, like, oh, I don't have anything to contribute, and I'm not that great, and I'm not, you know, Dave Kennedy, and, and so that means that I'm not amazing. And clearly, Nick, you are, and you contribute a bunch of stuff, so... I just point that out because I know that there are other people out there who are probably like you who think that they're not great and they actually are great and they need to know that. Well, right. And, and I agree with you on that. I think we need to bring a lot of other people into the community and the more diverse the community can be, the, the stronger we're going to be. Exactly. You know, when we have people coming from other backgrounds, different career fields, different lifestyles, yeah. we're going to have a really strong community that can actually, I mean, fight the fight the good fight to make yes. thing, make sure things are safe, make sure our PII is safe, make sure our our servers are safe, make sure our services keep running and stuff like that. Make sure and I think it's important. And, and I'm not saying that, I mean, people that have been doing cybersecurity forever, that's awesome. You guys are terrific. But we all agree that when you bring somebody from the outside, they bring a unique perspective Absolutely. that can be used to bolster that strength. New eyes. Yep. And and so for that, I've, I've always been about it, uh, about bringing new people into it because people have brought me in because I'm the weird odd man out. And I'm just like, okay, I can see the advantage of this. And I'm try always trying to bring new people in because of that. But see, in cybersecurity, you're not the weird odd man out. You're just the normal guy. Oh, no, no. I, f I fit in really well with you guys. I don't fit in well with anybody else, but I fit in well with you guys. You say guys. you guys, but you are part of you guys. Like, you are, part of, this, you are part of this community. It's You fit Fair in enough. well with us. We fit in well together. You're not... Well, no, like, that, that whole uh, community from Colorado, um, I've actually got some insider information if you want to hear it. Of course. Spill the okay. tea. So, Sands contacted me recently. Um, with their ICS stuff, they actually want to get into aircraft uh, training Very as cool. well as their ICS stuff. That's that's what came up when they asked me what bulletin boards I go to or who else I'm talking to about aircraft hacking. And I and Very I cool. literally said, unfortunately, this this um, specific um, practice is behind NDAs and security clearances. So there's not a lot of people publicly talking about it. 
Right. And I'm not behind that security clearance because I'm just an aircraft avionics technician. So the idea is we're trying to get hackers together to do this. But SANS is actually trying to put together classes for this. So it will be something that's going to expand even further. And I'm so excited about it. I'm super excited for you. That's amazing. For a guy oh, yeah, who's absolutely. not in security. What's that? For a guy who's not in security. No, I'm not in security. I'm just... <laughs> I can't wait. Like in 10 years when you and I redo this podcast. Well, we'll probably do it before then. But like, I can't wait for you to be like some head of whatever and you're going to be like yeah I'm not in security <laughs> well I mean you and I both agree that security be, should be intrinsic to the process itself when it comes to programming and development I totally agree absolutely yep. and when that day comes I think we'll all be out of a job yeah. but that's okay mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever going to come so I equate cybersecurity to law enforcement because of course that's where it came from oh absolutely and you know we have the only difference between cyber and law enforcement is that law enforcement deals with the physical um, bad guys, where cyber is dealing with the essentially remote bad guys, right? These are the guys that decided to remote into work today instead of show up and break into buildings. And right. I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think that like something that people should understand is that Law enforcement has been around for generations, right? Hundreds and hundreds of years because bad guys always find a way. Right. And so, and, and sometimes you can have people who are like ridiculously forward thinking who recognize that um, this is a security flaw that somebody could, could exploit but that's not always the case. And so even people who are doing the DevOps, who are security conscious may not think there's so many times that people say to me like, Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And I go, Oh, I didn't even think about it that way. Right. And like, I don't by any, you know, um, I don't believe at any point that I am smarter than anyone else in this world. But, like, I'm a fairly intelligent person, but there's plenty of times where I think, oh, I didn't even think of that. And that's why I think the collective mind is, is so good here. But, you know, to, but anyways, to my, to my point is that the people who are developing software, who are developing systems, who are doing this, like, you know, we assume that because something is important that the people that are creating it and who are maintaining it are the best of the best of the best. And while that may be true, it doesn't mean that we always think of all the things all the time. And there might be some person out there, maybe his name is Nick, who was like, oh, but did you think of this? And all of these genius minds go, oh, fuck. No, I didn't think about that. So I, I think it's important that we just continue to like, you know, pool our minds together because, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I don't think whatever degree we get to of security, the bad guys are always just going to be even half a step ahead of us. So we're never going to be out of a job, thankfully. <laughs> right. TLDR. We're not ever going to be out of a job because the bad guy is always going to be just 
half a step ahead. And, and hopefully we have some hacker who is has the mindset of the bad guy and is two steps ahead of that of that other bad guy. Absolutely. And it's and it's really wonderful like when you start getting into cybersecurity as a hobby or a profession and and you should tell me if I'm wrong but every time you see something a process or a piece of software or a device you think how can I break it? How can I fool it? You know, it's funny because one of my questions for you was kind of about that, you know, getting into um, security and like be, that hacker mindset. And, you know, I come from, I, I think to myself, what can other people do to break that? Right. And then there's another hacker mindset, which is how can I break that? Right. And you may want to break it for the right reasons and it's not from a nefarious like standpoint. Right. But absolutely. I love, I love that. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's something you're born with, right? Or not maybe not necessarily born with, but that's something that you just have. I don't know. So I'm going to mention, um, I recently, because a friend of mine wanted to discuss it, I started to, um, I, I download some audiobooks when I travel and I have been listening to, um, the latest, uh, Edward Norton book. Yeah. And, he talks about the hack and he kind of goes through like his, like I'm still in his life, right? Like we haven't gotten to anything super good, but like he's kind of gone through his life and, and computers and, and my, my favorite part so far of that entire book is where he talks about like figuring out the hack and it's not necessarily computer related, right? Like it's just life related. And I think that that's a, that's a particular mindset that not everyone has, and I love seeing it when people do it. Like so, my, oh, absolutely, my, yeah, I'm with you on that. My my little two year old figures out the hack all the time, and you want to get like get mad, but like you're like, you know what? I'm not even mad. Like, good for you for figuring the hack out. <laughs> well, and, no, I I have a 16 year old son, and I have a DNS filter to keep him from looking at porn. <laughs> but if he ever looks at porn, I'm like, heck yeah, how'd you do it? Show me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's just the way it is. Uh, and I appreciate that approach. I appreciate people that can think sideways at stuff. And the problem is, like, for instance, when it comes to avionics systems, I am not going to be able to come at it sideways. But cybersecurity professionals will. But if I can present to them this is what avionics systems are, I can just open it up and let them come at it sideways. And, and then that they're going to the come. This. Yeah. So my uh... – so I'm going to go ahead and, and throw it out there. My talk that I have brewing in my head is about – Top secret TS. You need clearance to hear this, by the way, everybody. You, you do. You do. If you don't have a TSCI, I'm going to need you to turn your radio off. Um, so my so what I've been th toying around in my head is kind of cultivating the investigative mindset. And I feel like – there are a lot of people in the community who think sideways. Let me back up. There are a lot of people not in the community who think sideways and could absolutely be a huge asset to this community because of the oh, way yeah. that they think. And I think that people are get so caught up 
in making sure that somebody has some CompTIA certification or SAN certification or, you know, do you have this or do you have that? And, you know, um, when I became a SOC analyst, they totally took a, a they took a chance on me. Like, I mean, they probably didn't see it as such. They were like, she had, and, and they were looking for somebody with a, an investigative mindset, which I totally had, right. Being an investigator. Um, but like when I got into it, like I had a very basic knowledge of computer systems and kind of how computers operated. I did not know what TCP IP was. That was, I think, day one when I got home and was like, what the fuck? And I'm, and I'm Googling the shit out of everything um, because I, I definitely was learning from a fire hose. But like, I think it's important that that's what we need to focus on because you can teach people the basics. You can teach people networking. You can teach people security and like, but you need somebody who thinks sideways. Right. Right. Because, Absolutely. because that, and like you, regardless of whether or not you, um, like admit to it, you think sideways. And that was how you were able to notice these security flaws in avionics. Because if you didn't think sideways, then you would have just been like, let me just continue doing what I'm doing. But you recognize these things and you recognize that there was people out there who had more knowledge than you currently do. Um, that could probably help with that, you know, some of those, you know, security holes that others weren't noticing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what you need. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say I do have an underlying motivation to try to get maintainers, aircraft maintainers into cybersecurity because I have never seen a bunch of people approach anything from sideways except for these guys. Yeah. I've seen them use um, Vaseline and Coke cans to seal an aircraft when it had <laughs> bullet holes in it, and it works. It works. <laughs> but like I said, I'm I'm one of those people that just I and I and I talk to my airmen that I work <coughs> with, and I tell them the way you approach problems because we have to approach problems sideways. We have to come up with our own solutions. Mm-hmm. I tell them you will make a good hacker, mm-hmm. and and I've been trying to push that a little bit more that. You know, anybody that's hiring, you would not believe what would happen if you were to take an aircraft mechanic, especially an avionics guy, by the way, hit, hit, nudge, nudge, because we can solder, we have electronic principles, we can do all the math and everything from circuits, and you put us somewhere and go solve this problem. You would be amazed what they come up with. But the thing is, nobody's ever made that connection. Nobody ever thinks, oh, this aircraft mechanic could be a good hacker, and I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because I always think of it as like, you may not think that this dude who investigates burglaries would make a good hacker or would make a good cybersecurity professional. But like, so I didn't even really consider, um, see, here it is. Like, I didn't even think of that, right? Like, I didn't consider people like avionics maintainers. Like, you have to think outside the box. You have to fix shit. And it doesn't matter how, like, holy shit, like Vaseline, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's brilliant. And that's something I think you're, we may have to talk some more offline. Um, but no, that's okay. I, I think it's more important that, um, like you said, there's, um, 
as we go into the future, uh, more and more of our tasks are becoming automated. And so because of that, you and I both know that the cybersecurity realm is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I think that, and, and you would probably agree with me, coming from investigation, I can only imagine how awesome they are at OSINT, for instance, you know, an Intel gathering for crap's sake, they can probably do stuff that I've never even considered. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then, is, you know, like I said, with hardware hacking, you take an aircraft me avionics mechanic and you introduce them to an environment where you say, here is the solution or here's the problem we need to solve. Come up with a solution. And these guys could probably do it. You know, they've got the basic and the foundation to do it. And they've been doing it through the experience. But you don't see them as somebody that would normally go into cybersecurity. And I think that um, you and I may be finding a really important uh, subsidiary for people to travel that venue into cybersecurity yes. from these career fields. Absolutely. Um, you need all these people that can come at stuff sideways that don't normally consider themselves in that environment in the first place. We may need to work together, Nick. No, that's fine. I, I have I, no problem with that. I, I feel like this is something that we can, um, we can expand on even more. It's that's so funny. This is totally happening organically for those who are listening. Um, like I, I, this is something that has been, knocking around in my head for probably the better part of a year where I feel like we're not utilizing the talent that is out there. And like cybersecurity right now has, you know, a negative employment rate and so, or unemployment rate. And so we need, like, we have all of these positions that are open and we need to bring people in who can um, think the way that we need them to think. And, and sometimes we need to Sometimes the the hirers need to actually think sideways and think outside the box because there's so many people out there that like you you know when I was this I'm gonna go back and go completely geeky when I was no, in, go for it. when I was in high school I was a total band geek and um, we'll come back to how I found the hack in band geek but um. You know, like there's something in, in, in music where, you know, you can teach people the technicality of music. You can teach them the fingering. You can teach them how to how to, to be fast or be slow. But you cannot teach people sometimes the musicality of things. Like you can't teach them um, how to put emotion. And um, there are certain parts of music that you can't teach, but you can teach technical portions, Right. It's kind right. of like I can teach you math, but I can't teach you how to be artistic, right? I can teach you how to paint, but I can't teach you like that artistic section of things. And so I think it's important that we kind of understand that we have people out there who are artistic, who just aren't technical. And if we bring those people in and we teach them te the techniques, they're going to be unstoppable. And, Absolutely. But but a lot of times I think we get stopped by they don't have a degree or they don't have like all these certifications and you know, people get kind of hung up on that. I think that's like the part of cybersecurity that we need to, you know, break free from. But Oh no, I'm I'm with you on that because I <laughs> like I said, there? I tried to get a CCNA, but I didn't qualify. But I met all of the requirements to receive a CCNA <laughs> except for 
technical experience. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. I passed the class without any issue. Because I never was a, a network security administrator, I was not able to receive that. I know they've changed it since then, but at that time, I could not get my CCNA because I did not have a year in the domain. Yeah. I, and that's just the way it goes. It's it's yeah. But but you and I are also. I mean, we can see that that there's a lost talent. There's a lot of people that could come into cybersecurity that could excel very well, given the right. All they got to do is get a little tug on their reins in the right direction, and they'll be amazing. I know some avionics guys that got out of the military. I know several. Like I said, we have a really low retainability rate because I mean. We're, we're just the mules of the Air Force. <laughs> Aircraft mechanics are treated like hell, but it's just part of the job. Right. It's like being infantry in the Army. But because of that, I got a lot of people that just let their uh, enlistment run out. But these guys, that they are guys that can actually do math on electronic circuits. They can solder. They can uh, troubleshoot ridiculously complex avionics systems. And here they are getting out and going working for their family or going to McDonald's or whatever. And it's a lot of wasted talent that just given the right direction. Um, and I, I've actually got an example, if you're willing to hear it. Um, so there's something in our career field called the production superintendent. The production superintendent handles all maintenance activities. So when you've got, you know, 15 aircraft that have to launch and four of them are broken, this is the person that goes to that manages all the directional stuff, puts the right people in the right place and everything else. I spoke with a production superintendent and I told him how important it would be for him after he retires to try to be a cert manager. You know, the emergency response team manager. Yeah. And when I told him about that, he was like, yeah, that would be like low stress. That looks easy <laughs> because of the stuff they've had to deal with their entire career. And I think it's just the entire positioning of these people being in the right place at the right time. You know, a production superintendent is not going to even consider cybersecurity an emergency response team. But I can't imagine a better person for that because these are the guys that I deploy with when we have to put bombs on target. I deploy with them and we launch 15, 16 lines a day no matter what happens. Crazy stuff breaks. We have to respond to it and everything else, and these guys organize it. And I was always wondering what would happen if you took one of these guys and put them in charge of a cert. You know, I think they'd handle it very well once they understood the basic concepts. Yeah. Because these guys have to understand the basic concepts of about eight or nine career fields. Yeah. Hydraulic systems, you know, all the other stuff that's underneath them. Avionics, uh, defensive, offensive avionic systems, uh, control systems like the... Um, flight controls, uh, hydraulics, jet troops, uh, and the, the uh, crew chiefs that just service the aircraft. They have to manage all these people and get them going all the same direction in order to address a changing environment. And I've always wondered what would happen if you take one of these guys and drop them in charge of a CERT team once you give them the basic knowledge of how a CERT team works. And I, I've always thought that they would work very well. But... It's just not a bridge that's happening. You know, it's not something that they logically make a connection to. Yeah. You're, it's so funny you say that. Like, I, we need, 
I hadn't even considered kind of like the managers of that until now. When, yeah. Well, we've we've probably gotten off a little off topic. We've gotten, it doesn't matter. There was no topic other than it was me and you and we're chatting and that's what we do here. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. I will live with that. We we wander off topic here at InfoSec Whiskey and that's okay because you know what? We're drinking while we're chatting. So we can probably, I've I've already gone down to three quarters of a bottle, by the way. I'm so happy. I'm about a a quarter or third in, I'm a third in, but, um, and let's, let's circle back because you know, we are anything you want to talk about. Yeah. Let's, I want to talk about the gin for a moment because, um, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed whiskey girl and I do enjoy my whiskey and bourbon, um, primarily. But like honestly, like I I didn't want to believe the 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 Ryan Reynolds hype, even though I love Ryan Reynolds. Like I, uh, Ryan, well, no, I would go gay for him, so I totally get it. That's right. I I felt that way today when I watched the um, Super Bowl halftime. I would totally go gay for Shakira. But yeah, so I'm like I saw him do. I think it was like a late night show where he talked about the gin. And, like, he was so passionate about it that, like, I wanted to try it. But, like, it took you, my lovely Nick, for me to <laughs> say, like, let's do this. And it really is good gin. Like, it's it's almost sad that, like, he's the reason it's so big because um, I think people probably, like, don't go and will probably not try this gin simply because it's mainstream because of him, but it's actually really good. Absolutely. It is a good gin. There's, there's pauses because I keep drinking it. Like I'm, it's, it's so like, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be probably one of, like if I, 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 you know, if I veer from my whiskey bourbon and I'm not drinking Grey Goose. It's probably going to be this gin because, like, I would I would put this in the in like the quality what Grey Goose is to vodka, aviation is to gin. Would you agree with me on that? I would. Um, and I I was a gin drinker in my twenties, so yeah, it's I would agree. So smooth, even. Well, I mean, like I told you, I like the fact that it it's like a whiskey flask. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it could fit in a flight suit because of the way it's built. I love that. And that's like your like that's what you equated to. Like I could right. I could shove. And the cap, in the cap suit. is totally a instrument, a flight instrument knob. <laughs> that's so great. I'm sure people who are like getting ready to like board their flights while listening to our podcast are probably, oh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, totally. Like so, and I have actually. Oh, that's funny. So, like, if you pull up their website, the aviationgin.com, they discuss the production of the um, of the gin, and they kind of go through, like, step one is infusion, and they discuss they they talk about the blends that are in it, which it, one of them is French lavender. I love out. I love lavender. Um. Like anise. Ushi, keep talking. I'm gonna go to the restroom and I'll yeah, be right back. Yeah, bio break while I do this. Um, they talk about just the different botanicals that are in it. We've got like, we've got 
cardamom, coriander, French lavender, anise seed, sarsaparilla, juniper, and two kinds of orange peel. Now that totally makes sense to me because like when I tasted it, when it was straight, I definitely get like a citrus hint. Um, so I totally get that. And then step two is the distillation. And it says the macerate is then pumped into a stainless steel still along with pure water. Steam jackets heat the macerate. The vapors go into a shotgun condenser, come into contact with the cold water, and the distillate forms. That's super interesting. Um, and then step three is the cut. In a meticulously monitored process, the first fluid leaves the still. Um, the, quote, heads is remo removed, collecting the heart of the spirit throughout the run. Um, the, still the distiller then determines the end of the cycle and makes the final cut which they call tails. Um, this process takes approximately seven hours, and at this point, the heart cut um, is 142 proof. That's crazy. And then the last step is to blend and bottle. So the heart cut is transferred to a, to a blending tank, God, where pure water is added, bringing the gin to the desired 84 proof, which is pretty high when you consider you know, your alcohols and, and what you have. Um, and then it goes into a bottling tank with a six sprout gravity filler and pumped into bottles. And all of the labels, caps, and cap strips are all applied by hand. That's super interesting. I love, I don't know why it is, like, I just like that my shit is touched by a person, right? <laughs> right, instead of a machine? Yeah, totally. Like, if my shit, that was applied by somebody, like, there's a person out there named Louise who put my label on my bottle. Well, like I told you, this this lid has a very good tactile sensation because it's the same thing that they use on instruments on aircraft. It really yeah, I, I'm I'm loving it. And then so what I love about what I love about their, their website, first of all, when you get to the website, they ask you if you're old enough to join this flight. Right, I saw that. It, which I think is very cool. And I like that it's just kind of yes or no. You don't have to put in your date of birth and all that bullshit. Like, yeah, if I'm old enough, no, I'm not. And then, like, when you scroll down, it says aviation flight menu. And it gives you, like, some suggestions for things to make. So you have coach, which is Tom Collins, and which is funny because that's what I was going to make. And then you have class which is American gin and tonic. And then you have coach Negroni upgrade and plus class, which is bees knees. We're going to have to look into what that is. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we have business class, which is the South side and the Amelia Earhart. Oh, I love Amelia Earhart. Let's just see what her drink was. We're going to have to. Oh, she's. Yep. Oh my gosh. So I, total side note, um, Lemon Matt, juice, rebarb, jam syrup, and sparkling wine. Rebarb jam syrup. That rhubarb. Sorry, not rebarb. Yeah, rebarb is something that would be different. terrible. That's that's a that's a weird drink. Um, but yeah, so the Amelia Earhart. It's one ounce of gin, one ounce freshly pressed lemon juice, three quarters ounce rebarb jam syrup. Where the fuck do you rhubarb. find that shit? We need to figure out. And then two ounce sparkling wine. So this sounds to me. So, like, I'm getting a theme, obviously, of the citrus, which I think you may have been um, away when we discussed, but I would, like, part of the gin process 
uses a, um, what do they call it? They call it a, where am I? Oh, I must have backed up too far. There it is, the infusion, which it starts with a bunch of different things, which includes two kinds of orange peel. So I think that's where we get that citrus hint from, which makes sense of why it goes so well with like citrus. And so lemon juice, rebarb jam syrup. Yeah. Re rhubarb. My granny used to make rhubarb pie. You keep saying rhubarb, and I know what rhubarb is. Rhubarb. So I'm like, that's not. Rhubarb. Like, <laughs> rhubarb looks like, um, like a weird purplish, reddish colored um, celery. Right. And from what I understand, if you don't cook it correctly, like it's like toxic or something. Well, that's kind of cool that they give you recipes on the website. I think so too. Well, and like it came, they, there was recipes with the um, with the bottle itself. Did yours come with that? Did you have like yeah, the little, little tag and yeah. it had some recipes on it? And like, I just want to say, bees knees is yeah. I wanted to make that. That's why I said I don't have simple syrup. So, but I can make some. But this is only, this is two ounces of American gin, one ounce of lemon juice, and one ounce of clover honey syrup. What is the difference between simply honey and honey syrup? Honey syrup just thinner? Well, simple syrup is uh, you you boil sugar water, and water with sugar in it. Yeah. What's honey syrup? Oh, and by the way. I did find the guy's name that burned my house down when I did the CCDC, and he hacked my butt. Uh, hacked my ass. It was uh, Rob Fuller, otherwise known as Movix. He completely destroyed my ass when I was doing the CCDC. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. Shout out to him. Yeah, and I, and I met him in real life. He's a really amazing person. Uh, Marine. I'm not going to say ex-Marine because there's no such thing. Right. And he's a Marine, and he was a very nice person to meet. And I did tell him, I was like, dude, he really kicked my ass in the CCDC. I love that. I really hope to find that, like, to play with that, because that sounds fun as fuck. It's almost it like a cat and mouse type of... College. What's that? You have to be enrolled in college, and then you you can compete in it. Um, uh. I'm enrolled at Ingridal Aeronautical University. Go figure. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I showed up with my polo shirt with the ERAU logo on it and everything, but I was with the school. The only requirement is that you be enrolled in school, and then you can probably find a local school that's participating in the CCDC. We need to figure out how to bring that kind of concept to those who are not enrolled in school. That would be amazing. It's, it's, um, it's a cat it was a mouse. really good tournament. There's actually a lot of people on Twitter that I've been contacting about the the competition, and maybe we can talk about that. We will have to discuss that again. Absolutely. Offline. Yeah, offline. I'm sorry, audience. We'll have so, to figure something out later. That yeah, would be no, like totally TBD. Like everybody keep we're gonna figure this out because I think that's something that people who like why should you have to be enrolled in a university or whatever school to be able to participate in something like that. But like, I, and I feel like we have a lot of really awesome hackers in our community that would like to be a part of that type of competition. So we're going to figure that out. That's but as you said, people don't even know that they would even love it, but I had no idea, 
you know, I put together our playbook and I put a, um, just like our secret cover sheet that we have at work, but I put it like CCDC was the cover sheet and mm-hmm. the color was different because I know better if I actually label it secret, then we have some issues, <laughs> but we labeled it that way and it looked actually really official. Um, and then we went and we used that playbook and, um, it was actually some really cool stuff. There's, there's, um, I, I think you're making a really good point. If corporations, if people that participate in corporations could participate in a cybersecurity defense competition, I think they would make leaps and bounds. Yeah. Um, because if they've never been intruded, they sit down in an environment where they're getting intruded and they have to deal with it. And it gives them like two or three days where they can deal with it. And it's actually, I mean, for me, it was a lot of fun. Other people probably find it stressful, but I enjoyed it, you know. I really enjoyed it. I'm making notes because I think that's something we should look into. Um, All right. Should we keep this shit up? We're going to keep, uh, we're going to change the uh, face of how things work. And you know what? That's, that's amazing and awesome. Okay. And I think All right. Fine. For a we'll guy, for a guy who's not in, in cyber, who's not in security and a girl who thinks all she can contribute is whiskey. Um, I think we might have some plans here. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm not in cybersecurity. I only do it as a hobby. Yeah. And I can only contribute whiskey. So we're we're good. We're good company. Says the girl that went to D.C. to get a freaking awesome cybersecurity job. Oh, thank you. So I think we're going to wrap up here because I yeah. I think that we, we're at like an hour and 45. And this has been amazing. Will you come back? If you guys invite me back, I will come back. You're invited. No You're invited any time that you want to come drink with us. I, I want so much for you. Well, and I told you we were supposed to kind of do this in Deadwood. And, and of course, you were so busy and important that we, we really didn't make it. I wasn't busy and important. Yes, I you was were. Just, okay. You were. So just so the audience <laughs> knows, I was stressed out as hell because it was the first time I was talking in front of who I see as my peers, which is the cybersecurity community. Which is so I was very stressed out. Totally. I and like that's honestly I think sometimes talking in front of your peers can be the most intimidating thing. And and people probably realize this. I don't know, maybe they don't, but I didn't even tell people about my podcast that I worked with because I felt like I didn't want my peers to listen and like think that I was doing something frivolous and stupid. And, you know, so yeah, we all have a little bit of that um, imposter syndrome, I think. And yeah, we're going to figure out how to break out of that. But anyways, so we didn't get a chance no, to oh, do Ricky, This is, this is 100% value added. I think the more that people get to speak about the actual uh, meat and potatoes of cybersecurity, the better off we are. I totally agree with you. Like, I think too, I think it, there's so many points of cybersecurity that are so important. And I think that like, our target demographic in cybersecurity is like, and I say this with love in my heart, is the weird, geeky, um, kind of withdrawn from society people. Like the the people who thrive in cybersecurity are people, it's our engineers, right? Like our stereotypical 
um, you know, maybe aren't super like social and are kind of afraid to engage. And I think those are the people who thrive the best here. And if you're afraid to kind of like just jump in with both feet, it, it can be very intimidating. And so I think that's that's probably part of the reason why we need more people in cybersecurity is because the people that we need are like, I don't know if I want to get into that. Well, um, I, I, I do have something to say to all those that feel that way. Um, if you're interested in breaking things and trying to provide that solution to make things better, don't feel embarrassed. This is a community that will welcome you with open arms. They will gladly accept you and your views and whatever you're going to come up with them, whatever you're going to present to them, all the new stuff and the new angles. I got to experience that myself because I am from the outside and it was just amazing. So I'm telling you, don't be afraid to approach and come up with your ideas because you will be welcomed yes. because we need that sideways view in order to make the community stronger. <laughs> and when our robot overlords try to take over everything, we need us to fight them. So there you go. I, but I totally agree. We, yeah, we need all of those different viewpoints and it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, where you're from. Like, and I say how old you are from both spectrums, because I think that like, you know, we have people who are at the very young end of things who are thinking I'm too young and I probably can't contribute. And then you have people at the other spectrum who are thinking I've been in this community for so long. I have no fresh perspective. And I think that both of those people, if they were to think that they are not a valued member of this community are wrong. And it's amazing to me that like, there's so many people in this community. It's, and you know, it's funny. I, so I get the irony because I constantly think I have nothing to contribute other than whiskey, but like, there are so many people who don't realize how much they have to contribute to this community and they simply have to just walk out of their shell a little bit. And, um, and when you do that, you have a guy who works in avionics as an avionics maintainer who thinks he is not in security and has a lot to contribute to this community. So you, you kind of, it doesn't matter where you are in this, but you, you have something to contribute and everybody should just kind of like, you know, hopefully realize that. Oh yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. It's important to offer that outside view, that difference. Yes. And, um, you're yeah. not going to get that difference from inside the community. Yeah. You need it from the outside. Um, and the great thing is people inside the community professionals that are good at their job and knowledgeable and know what they're doing are going to accept that outside view and approach mm -hmm. it from that way. Yes. That, I think that's really important for people to understand too, is that like you could be a 18 year old intern and your, your perspective is appreciated. It is accepted. It is valid because you may think of something that no one else has thought of. And I think that's important for people to like kind of throw out there, you know, don't hold back. 
because so many people do. I do. I definitely do. Like I hold back thinking somebody smarter than me has thought of this and there's a reason why my thought is not valid. And there's sometimes that I throw my thought out there anyways and people go, oh, we didn't think about that. And, and people need to understand that that's, that's like, that's what we need here. We, we, we need your opinion, even though you may think that your opinion is not valid because, you know, you're young, you're old, or you don't have, you know, whatever, like, creds you think you need to have to call yourself a security person. I keep coming back to you, Nicholas, because you are absolutely in security whether you own it or not, but... <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> um, like I said, I unfortunately uh, dealing with Sands because I'm going to try to be an intern with him over the next few years. Awesome. And um, uh, looking around, apparently I'm the only one in avionics hacking that can speak publicly. So, um, yes, I'm in security, and I have no problem with that. I'm so and happy. I, I'm so proud of you, Nick, for oh, saying thank that you. you owned it. I do. You are in security. You are here. You do belong. You have a voice. And it's an amazing one. Fair enough. <laughs> and I and I look forward to meeting anybody from that listens to this podcast. If you come up and say hi to me in San Diego when we do the talk, I would love to give you a hug. I'm I'm a hugger. I'm You're gonna have to deal with it. I'm a hugger. Too. And <laughs> and um you know, welcome to the community. Don't ever think you're going to have something that's too stupid to bring to the community. Um, they're going to, the worst case scenario is you're going to learn something new, you know, is the way I look at it. Yeah. Yep. So I think this is a great place for us to wrap things up. I just want to thank everybody who has tuned in with us. Um, this has been one of our longer podcasts, but I think that it's, been super informative. I think it's been important. I think that um, just kind of talking about, you know, the inclusiveness of it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, you do have a voice in this community and you have a place here. And even it, maybe it took us an hour and 53 minutes to get Nick to um, finally say that he was part of the security community. Um, but I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gosh, this is such a great place to end this because I just, I obviously I have an affinity to you and I think that you're just an amazing person and you have so much to give to our community. And I can't wait to see like where your path leads you as you continue on into this infosec, you know, community. I can't, I can't wait to watch and see in a couple of years where you're at, but um, and, and everybody is kind of in that spot, right? Like, and I think it's great to kind of, um, highlight that is that, you know, you, Nick started in a, in a new speaker's track, you had just kind of this little niche that you wanted to share with the community and it turned into something where people were like, Oh, this is something we need to talk more about. And, I think everybody has those ideas and we need to kind of put those out there and don't think that just because you don't have all of the certs or you don't have all of the letters behind your name, but that doesn't mean that you can't, um, totally, um, give to this community just like anyone else. So, 
Right. And, and I've come to find it's like, does you, do you really want to make that change? Mm-hmm. You know, um, do you really have the passion to cause those changes and, and to be forward thinkers in front of it, in front of that wave, whatever it may be, you know, um, you don't have to have the certification, but you know, if, if you're interested in it and it's something you do as a hobby, like myself, cybersecurity and like I said, the cybersecurity defense competitions and the CTFs have always been fun to me. There is a lot of uh, benefit in that. So anybody that's from outside the community, if you've gone through those and you enjoy it, uh, there is a position for you. There's people out there looking for you. So, you know, don't feel disheartened. There's a place for you in this community. And I think that's important for people to understand is, you know, I, I think intrinsically we're nerds and we think that like we don't belong because maybe we didn't belong in the past. And um, now we have this big group of people who a bunch of people who don't belong and we all belong together, if that makes sense. And I think that people need to understand that, that, you know, you're, you're valued in this community. And um, it took me a while to kind of realize that. So I hope. And I think Ushi and I both came from the same place because we came from outside the InfoSec community. Yes. And, and, you know, neither one of us are younger than 35. So yes, (laughs) we have experience before that, um, that gives us a ridiculous amount of foundation in order to do our jobs well. And I have immense respect for Ushi and what she's doing, what she's accomplishing. Um, and if somebody, you know, like I said, comes from the outside, a construction worker is going to know how to get onto a construction field and do injects before a building is even built. Oh, you know, yes. I know that's a weird thought, but no, that's just the, the type of people we're looking for. That is. We're looking for those weird people coming from yes. odd situations. Yes. Like, I totally think that we have overlooked a section of the community who just because it's a quote unquote, like blue collar job, like that they might not be able to do this, but like those are the people. Because when you think about what those type of people work, like you just said, like like a construction worker, when shit doesn't go perfectly right on a construction site, like they still have a fucking building to build, right? So like Well, I mean, they're gonna know the basics of the HVAC system yes. that is required to cause the service system to work. They're how the servers are supposed to work. They're going to know how to work right. around whatever comes up and comes their way. And those are the people who think sideways, who think outside of the box. Those... So both of us, we welcome you. Yes. And not only us. There's so many people in this community who think the same way. It's just a matter of getting that, that message out there that, like, yes, you do have a place. Like, if this is something that you feel passionate about – don't think like, oh, well, because I don't have a background in computer science. I don't have the typical IT security, computer science security. Like, I don't have that. My my bachelor's degree is in fucking forensic psychology. And I just lucked out that I got a bunch of training and some other stuff that I was able to get, you know, my master's in digital forensics. But like, 
you can start from where you are today and you can continue forward and you can get to where you want to be. And, and see, I don't even have a bachelor's degree. I have an associate's degree in aeronautical engineering. And, and yet you're going to be on a main stage at Wild West Hackenfest, San Diego. Bougie, right. bougie as fuck, I just want to say. And you, ha- like, you have a voice here. And I think people need to, like, I just want to, sh- like, highlight that. Like, I think that's so amazing. Absolutely. You're, and you're- I, I think that, and this is her, Ushi and myself, reaching out to the community because neither one of us came from a cybersecurity background. But we understand the importance of coming from these sideways yes. venues to actually embolden and make the community stronger. Yeah, I think I think it does make the community stronger. So, okay, we're going to wrap up now, folks, because yep. we have just about hit two hours. Um, thank you, everyone, for who has, like, stuck it out with us. Um, if you guys are interested <laughs> and you want to know more about our amazing Nick, um, check him out on Twitter. He's at BoxSwapper, B-O-X, Swapper, S-W-A-P-P-E-R. And, um, and I think is your, is your pin tweet still your talk or no? Is what? Is it still your pin? Is your pin tweet still your talk from Deadwood? Well, my talk is still there. Yeah. I actually put a a link to the video on there if people want to watch it. Okay. So I, I so recommend it. What's great about it is honestly, I think like the, the new speaker track is great because it's like little 30 minute snippets. And so if you listen to Nick's talk, it's short, it's sweet, but it's fun as hell. You're going to love it. Um, everybody that I was with just kept talking about how amazing you were and, um, and how fun that talk was. And you had your, like your, your air quotes that you, that you kept interjecting and it was just, it was such a hoot. So thank you so much, Nick, for being on the podcast. I can't wait for our next episode together. I really appreciate you inviting me and I will look forward to any interjection that I can give you in the future. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Thank you guys. Um, we will be back soon with another amazing guest. I don't know if they can be as amazing as Nick, but we're certainly going to try, but thank you guys for joining us for this episode of InfoSec Whiskey. Have a great day.